Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer broadcaster, Dean Linky. Uniting coaches at every level of the game, around the love of the game, we are United Soccer Coaches. And we begin today's show just one day after learning about the passing of former United Soccer Coaches President Charlie Slago, arguably one of the greatest soccer promoters in this country of all time, who died just a couple days ago, suddenly. A former head coach of the Davidson Wildcats for 21 years, Slago coached the team from 1980 to 2000, leading his team to a Final Four finish in 1992 when he was also hosting the College Cup. He would go on to incredible success as the Division I Coach of the Year that same year in several conference and regional Coaches of the Year. From Davidson, he would become the CEO of the Capital Area Soccer League, now known as North Carolina FC Youth. And between his time at Castle and at Davidson, he hosted 14 NCAA Division I College Cups and hosted the last training cap for the U.S. men's national team prior to the 2002 and 2006 FIFA World Cups. Charlie Slago is a member of the North Carolina Soccer Hall of Fame and the Davidson College Athletics Hall of Fame. He served as president of the United Soccer Coaches from January 2017 through January 2018. After spending time with the Colorado Rapids Youth System and Tampa Bay United, he was most recently serving as the vice president of community engagement and game day experience for the Richmond Kickers, where Rob Ucrop, who is the Richmond Kickers pro chairman and played for Charlie Slago, as well as Matt Spear, who replaced Charlie Slago at Davidson, were key leaders, tons of Davidson folks at Richmond, joining all of us as we mourn the loss of one of the all-time greats in soccer, Charlie Slagle, joyful, authentic, united, 1952 to 2019. And with that, it's only fitting that we're joined by one of his closest friends, a man who coached against him, a man who coached with his son, a man who brought him on to United Soccer Coaches, and a man who was in regular contact with Charlie Slagle, former past president as well of United Soccer Coaches, Ralph Polson. And Ralph, I know you share my sentiments of sadness for the Slago family, we lost a good one in Charlie. We did, and and heartbroken is the only way to describe it. And uh, it, I was thinking, you know, as this spread through the soccer community, it's unbelievable how quickly and and it, it went the the news, the sad news went through the soccer community, and then the the messages of condolence and and just fond memories of Charlie. It was it was. Uh, it was truly a celebration of his life and, and his legacy in our sport. It was, it was amazing to, 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 to read the, the comments from other friends and, and, uh, and members of the soccer family. Um, my heart goes out to, to his daughter, Amelia Barry, uh, his son, Barry, who was my assistant for four years, Barry's wife, Amy, and, and probably one of the, one of the, uh, one of the things I think about Charlie most was his love for his granddaughter Clara too, and and uh, it did my heart just uh, breaks for 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 all of them and the Slagle family. He's going to be missed. I I remember him coming to me when I served on the executive committee um, and asking me what I thought about him running for uh, a, a position on the executive committee, and 
for me, it was a no-brainer. I mean, you think of Charlie Swagel, and you think about the energy with which he does everything, his love and passion for our game and, and the vision that he has. I mean, you, you, know, you look at everything that he's done and uh, everything that he's accomplished and all that he's given to the sport, and this is just one more opportunity for him to to uh, to, to put his, his mark on, on uh, uh, our great association. And uh, I could not have been happier, one, when he chose to run, but then when he was elected. Um, and, uh, you know, Charlie, I, I could count on hearing from him or, or me contact. You know, we, we, we stayed in contact at least once a month. Uh, I retired in November, and, and he was one of the first persons to call me, and we talked at length. And then every 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 couple of weeks after that, uh, I, you know, I heard from him. And uh, my wife and I were talking. And the last time we spent time with Charlie, my wife loved Charlie like everybody else did. And we were at uh, a uh, post banquet uh, reception of the convention and sat with Charlie for a good twenty minutes or so, and, and just just catching up and and you know, a sense of humor, that dry sense of humor. It was just, it's just. He always brought a smile to your face anytime you spent time with him. And I, I just love the guy, and um, it's just so sad, so sad. Well, and he did it all. That means he touched all of us in so many ways. He had so much success as a coach at Davidson. He was arguably the best soccer promoter ever out there. I mean, drawing huge crowds for the College Cup, huge crowds for USA Madova national team games before it was, you know, cool for national team <laughs> games to be held, right? He led uh, Castle to amazing success before leaving. And, you know, in his last step, he was out, you know, throwing out uh, the first pitch in Richmond as the community man for the Richmond Kickers. I mean, he literally did it all in the sport. Oh, no question. And, and you know, you, you keep, I, oh, I all the time think back to Davidson hosting the College Cup. And what, and not only did he pull that together, but he, he got his team there to the, to the College Cup and, and still was able to pull all that off and coach his team uh, to, to such success. Uh, and, and again, you know, I, I think 14, 15. Uh, college cups that he was responsible for through his time at Davidson, also his time at, at Castle, um, Tampa Bay United, and then this, you know, his last stint with uh, with the Richmond Kickers, and and uh, going back basically to uh, into a family atmosphere because it's you know the organization that's owned and run by you know the Davidson alumni. Um, it's, it's just amazing what he was able to do in his career and it's unfortunate that his life was cut short and, and you know and, and, and we're going to miss out on so many great other opportunities that he had ideas for charlie slagle joyful authentic united 1952 to 2019 rest in peace we know that uh, you'll be cheering soccer on in this country and around the world ralph thanks for being with us Thank you, Dean. I appreciate the opportunity. And, and as you said, rest in peace, Charlie. Love you, mean it, buddy. Love you, mean it, indeed. And if you know Charlie Slago at all, the man never stopped. He just was going and going and going, and he would want us to do the same, especially with the USA just one game away from winning their fourth World Cup. He'd say, go on, Dean. 
I could see him in the booth with me for several Fox Soccer Game of the Weeks for then-named NSCAA. I could see him walking the field at a college cup. He would say, go on, promote the USA women, promote soccer, and we'll do just that for Charlie Slago and his legacy. We will go on. We will talk Women's World Cup. The USA go for their fourth World Cup title on Sunday. Paul Riley, the great coach for the North Carolina Courage, gives his take on what he's seen from the U.S. team, including several of his players, and what the NWSL has also meant for not just the U.S. team, but other teams at the World Cup. Paul Kennedy, 35 years with Soccer America, most of those as soccer editor-in-chief. He's in France. He'll also join us. And then if you remember, a couple weeks ago, we had Nancy Feldman and April Heinrichs talking about the fact that they were going over on behalf of United Soccer Coaches with a handful of coaches at all levels And Nancy Feldman's going to give an update on how it went. They went to all three U.S. games. They saw Argentina twice. They saw Spain, Germany. And then one of her former players, Jessica Clinton, who's now the head coach for the Fordham women's soccer team, she participated. We'll get her take as well. This after these messages from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to, to the find United out Soccer more. Coaches podcast. Now, once again, again here's your host, Dean Linky. to the family of Charlie Slago, and we thank Ralph Polson for sharing some great Charlie Slago stories to get things started. But as promised, Charlie would want us to move on. He'd want us to continue to spread the word of soccer and, of course, the word of the Women's World Cup. And we're going to start that with Paul Riley, then Paul Kennedy, and then Nancy Feldman. So we've got a great show. Paul Riley, the head coach of the North Carolina Courage. They won the double last year. They won the ICC, currently sitting in fifth place. But Paul Riley always has his hand on the heartbeat of the Women's World Cup because several of his players are playing in it. Four Courage players are on the U.S. roster as well. Paul, thanks for being with us. No problem. How you doing, Dean? Great to hear from you. Yeah, great to hear from you. So first off, let's get to your reaction on the victory over England yesterday. What went right? Uh, what can the uh, U.S. do better? I think it's probably a typical U.S. performance in the World Cup. You know, it wasn't pretty at times. It wasn't a great pattern or a great substance to the play in the midfield area, but it got the job done. Uh, you know, there's always a handful in transition, and they've got... Uh, game change players, you know, and people like Aram that can change the game in a second, Tobin Heath that can change the game in a second, and uh, you know, Pressy's a great player to me, probably should be playing the nine every week, you know, I really like Press a lot, uh, she's a little bit more sophisticated than the nine we have, uh, but obviously she doesn't play a ton, so I think she was hungry to play, and I think she might, you know, cause some problems in these uh, in this last game, and she certainly did last night. Yeah, it was a good performance uh, defensively. I think they've been solid defensively, haven't given much away. And Alyssa, you know, hasn't had much to do. And last night she came up with a couple of big saves. The one in the first half was a key time, I think, when they just got back in the game to make it 1-1. And she made a big save. They kept the score uh, even and then obviously saving the penalty kick, which was a pretty poor penalty in all fairness. But uh, just the fact of the pressure on, I think she came up and caused a, you know, basically proved their critics wrong, which is what you want players to do. 
Uh, but England were good, you know, they outpassed the US, which I think is most normal in this World Cup. Most of the teams are outpassing them, outpossessing them. Um, I'd love to see us improve in that department over the next four years. Uh, but, you know, that I mean, they're the best team in the World Cup, the most athletic, uh, the most dynamic, uh, you know, for the midfield. I think with Rose, uh, Haran and Sammy in it is very, very good and creative. Um, sometimes I think when we put Julian there, it just becomes a little bit less creative, you know. Uh, Julian's a great player, but I think more of a central defender for me. But, uh, yeah, the, the midfield's doing well. Rose is in great form. Obviously, the hamstring's going to put her at the final. Sam's been in great form, too, and, and Lindsay's been in good form, too. So I think uh, the midfield's the key to me, and I think the, a couple of the other games have been quite good. And uh, last night, I think it was pretty average, to be honest with you, and hopefully there'll be a better performance in the final. I think it's going to have to be against Sweden and Netherlands, to be honest with you. Yeah, let's start with defense, and you kind of already hit on it in talking about uh, Alyssa Nair because that was a big question mark, I think, for a lot of pundits and a lot of people like you that know the game so well. That's got to be a huge confidence boost for her to have those, as they were calling them, shining moments. Well, to me, Alyssa Nair is a great shot blocker. You know what I'm saying? If you want there's anything from Alyssa Nair, I don't know if you remember the game here in North Carolina when she made 15 saves and we had 42 shots on goal last season in the Louisville. I mean, she's a shot blocker. She's brilliant. She's got great reach. Uh, her, her, her always, uh, you know, faults, I guess you could say, or things she needs to work on is the feed and decision-making, you know, and I think that's most goalkeepers in the U.S. is they're the two things that they have to work on the most and uh, the hardest things to probably get because as a youth goalkeeper, they're told, you know, let's just you, they're just shot-blocking and they're shooting all the time. And, and, you know, I don't think they work enough in the youth game. Uh, none of us work enough on decision-making and possession of the ball and, the feet, and I think the goalkeepers are getting more and more important as Liverpool and Manchester City have shown in England how important the goalkeepers' feet are and how important they are almost as an extra field player uh, when you're building out the back, and I think that's the next step for, for U.S. goalkeeping in general. Let's talk about that back line because it features two of your starters, ironically, one of them in a position that uh, you would only do as a last-minute uh, resort, I think, in Crystal Dunn. But let's start center backs. Abby Dahlkemper, Becky Sauerbrunn, are they the two best center backs in the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, Juliet probably would have something to say about that, too, you know. Uh, but Abby's been very good. I mean, the great thing about Abby, she's just tremendous on the build. You know, she has a great range of passing, but she's intelligent. She sees space as well. Uh, the delivery of the ball, the texture of the ball, the pace of the ball is always spot on. And I think it's a massive piece to have. Uh, I know for us, at least when we're building here in North Carolina, and when you see with the national team, she's she's special in the back. And it's not often you get a central defender that can handle a ball like that. And Becky's got better with the distribution, I think, over the last few years. And she's had a great World Cup, Becky. She's really settled in. And uh, again, there were a few question marks, I think, going into the World Cup, but she's proved everybody wrong. And she's a fantastic defender. Uh, and I think Abby Dalcamp has improved her defending, you know, uh, from Abby Erzik here and from um, from Becky when she's with the national team. So I think she really improved. I like the, the combo of uh, Abby and Becky together. I think they, they understand each other well and they've, they've done well. You know, last night's goal was, you know, she came blindside, she got in between them. Um, and White and obviously was a good goal. But I'm happy with Abby. I think that nobody's talking about it. It was good. You know, it, I think it shows that she's just been getting on with the job and, uh, yeah, she's been almost faultless, you know. I think last night the goal, I'm not sure whose fault it was. The ball came in pretty quick, you know, but uh, tracking defenders when you're facing your own goal is not the easiest thing in the world, that's for sure, or facing the outside line. But, yeah, I'm really happy with them. And, you know, I think Kelly O'Hara, too, has done well. I think Kelly O'Hara, together with uh, Dal Camper, is a good combo. And on the other side, Crystal, you know, everyone thought Crystal wouldn't be able to handle the French, the Annie, and the outside, and 
in all fairness, she did and did it really well, and and you know still did something going forward too, and had a spark to get there and get forward. And I think for us, Crystal plays much higher on the field, and she's an impact player, game changer type player, and I think she settled into left back uh, pretty well. And I think she realised certainly against France that she had to play a little deeper and make sure that that was taken care of because of the creative element they've got in the team higher up. They're probably still going to score, you know, and in the end, it's about keeping clean sheets if you're going to win the World Cup. And she's been good. Kelly O'Hara's been exceptional for me again. Again, nobody's talking about Kelly O'Hara, but I think she's been very, very good getting down the wing, and she's caused trouble going forward, but she's been very good defensively. And, you know, these are both forwards that have been turned into fullbacks. So, you know, I think defensive part of the game is probably the hardest part for them, and I give a lot of credit to both of them. They've done really well defensively, so hats off to them. Yeah, and they both got stuck in at the right time, especially late. Crystal Dunn had some big-time tackles when it looked like yeah. England was trying to take over the game. And that told me, you know what, I'm going to be the left back. I'm going to finish as the left back on this team, and I'm going to help my team win a World Cup. What's that say about Crystal Dunn? Well, that says everything. I mean, versatility can, can be a detriment sometimes to a player, but Crystal's embraced it, and uh, she certainly has done well. And, uh, you know, so I think the intricacies of playing fullback, she's still learning, and she still wants to get better at it. Um, and you know, obviously she doesn't play left back ever for us not in practice, not in a game so it's definitely a difficult light switch on, light switch off type of thing for her but she's done well and uh, she's got so, so many great tools that I don't know if it matters where she plays You know, she can use both feet she's strong in the tackle, she reads the game well I think positionally was the biggest thing for her you know, at left back, when especially when the ball's on the, on the far side and she's on the weak side and the ball comes across where is she positioned, you know what is she inside, outside, uh, up, down, back, forward? These are all little things, and sometimes it's just a matter of being a yard out of position at the top level and you're in trouble. So I think she's got better at it. She's watched a lot of video on it, and uh, I give her a lot of credit. She's improved dramatically, and the national team's done a good job with her prepping her for the World Cup and getting her ready. And then when she comes back, she's going right back into the number 10. <laughs> yeah, well said. We heard it here first. Now, moving to the midfield, you already said that you think the hamstring will prevent Rose Lavelle from playing. That'll be a big loss. I mean, she especially coming off maybe a, a rougher game, uh, the game before England against France. She wasn't as strong, but man, against uh, England, she did everything right. Well, I think you're looking at uh, the next generation of midfielders. We haven't had a midfield like this for a long, long time. And this midfield of Iran, Rose Lavelle, uh, Sam Ewis, and JJ, I guess, uh, Juliet, I think will be these guys. And hopefully we'll change to a four-man midfield. But they're unbelievable midfield. And I think this will be the key to the next World Cup. Uh, because I think the, the special players and uh, Rose Lavelle is a special, special talent. And she's had a lot of injury problems. But uh, I think she's a phenomenal player. And just it's just natural for her. Everything's natural. You know, she's instinctive, she's great on the ball, lovely left foot, changes direction. She's got a lot of martyr. If you watch martyr as a young player, I feel like she's got a lot of martyr in it. She stops on a dime, she accelerates quickly, she changes direction quickly. She's very difficult to mark and very difficult to pick up and very difficult to get the ball off. And I think Rose, great vision too and uh, great ability to open the game up, range of passing, can score goals, can assist. And yeah, She's special and I think you know, Haran and Sammy alongside or with her in the next few years, they're going to really develop into a, a fabulous midfield. And I think the, the, the quality of play in the U.S. will get better for the next World Cup just because of midfield. You almost have to play through that area. And, you know, we don't usually play through that. Usually it goes wide early, you know, and it goes into the individuality of Tobin and Rapino. But I think the next four years, they can really develop that midfield and, and play a better style through the midfield. 
So what does Jill do with Rose out? Does she put the three horses in there with Julie C? Yeah, and go with the horses for me, Sam Haran and, and Julia, as you know. And uh, Haran is a special player too for me. I mean, she scores goals. She knows how to how to pull people out of out of spaces and open space for the players. She's great on the ball. Get another player with tremendous vision. She's a handful on set pieces too. And I mean, Haran is the, you know one of the top players in the league for me here. And is a super player. And, and Sam just does what the others don't do. She runs from deep with the ball. Uh, when she gets moving with the ball, she's hard to stop. You know, she's a huge physical presence in it. And she's improved, you know, in the final third. I think Sam's vision in the final third, final ball has got better. Uh, I think it's still a work in progress for Sam. But she's improved dramatically. And you know, she got over her injury problems and so is her run at this point. And yeah, it's a very good midfield. And Julia will just balance him off, I think, in the final. She'll just sit there and do the doggy work for him and, you know, play play backwards and play square and keep everybody else, you know, as long as, I mean, if you can do that and allow Haran Sam to do their thing, you win the game, I think. And I think Julie understands that and understands her role. And uh, I mean, she's a terrific player too, you know, tough, no nonsense. Uh, but I'm really happy for Sam. She got a spot and she's earned it and uh, she'll play in the final, I think, thoroughly deserved. And I think, you know, a year ago, we probably would think maybe Sam wouldn't play in the final or any of the big games and she's got there and thoroughly deserves it, in my opinion. Do you expect the three veterans with Rapino resting the hamstring back in there with Heath and Morgan to start? Yeah, I think that'd be the starting three up front. And uh, you know, Tobin's been been very good. You know, again, I think England did a better job on Tobin. They got to her early. I think that's important. Uh, I said a few times in, in broadcast this week, and I don't understand teams that let Tobin run and put them into the penalty box. You know, what I'm saying they just back off, back off, back off, and then all of a sudden they're in the penalty box and. When Tobin gets you in the box, you're in big trouble. Because she's only got to go left or right, and she's in. She's got two great feet, uh, great use of her body. Uh, she's tricky, and you know I would try and get her higher up the field and get into her higher up the field where she's you know less effective. And when she gets on the run, the last thing you want to do is backpedal. And the French did that all the time. They got themselves in such mischief. So did Spain, and uh, I think you know Sweden and Netherlands are a little bit smarter. I think they'll get to her physically a little bit earlier up the field and stop her. And you know, Pino, you got to stop her delivering balls, you know. Obviously, Pino, with her age, she's not as quick as she used to be. She's not as dynamic, but she knows how to deliver a ball. And probably the best deliverer of the ball in the world. I mean, she's unbelievable at crossing the ball, pinpoint. And so you have to stop that, whether it be set pieces, giving stupid set pieces away, or which England did a lot yesterday, I think, uh, or giving, you know, making sure that, uh, you know, she's, she's higher up the field again and keeping them higher up the field. Because I think what you want to do is almost you want to see if Alex can beat you. Because Alex isn't as sophisticated, I think, as press is in the nine. I think you want to force her, you know, to 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 beat you rather than the two wide players, because those two wide players are, can win games for you, and they're individually very, very good. And so that's what I would do. I would force into the middle and box them up in the middle. You know. Upon reflection, uh, realizing now that it was a hamstring injury, do you feel like U.S. Soccer and Jill handled the Megan Rapinoe story okay, just by being quiet until the end? Yeah, I think it's probably better. Yeah, probably better. I mean, nobody knew anything, so I think they probably handled that really well. Um, and, you know, I don't know if anyone needs to say anything, really. But, you know, it's a little tweak. I mean, the problem is is if you start, you might have to go to the bench quickly. Because hamstrings don't, don't fix themselves that quickly. So I think it's a bit of a risk, you know. Uh, and with pressing good form, you know, maybe you're better off starting pressing. And if you need PL last 20, it might be easier, you know, rather than risking an early sub. Uh, but press is in great form, which is good. Um, and I think, uh, you know, they know they've got the cover there. And, and I mean, I don't know if Pino will play, you know. I just don't know if the hamstring will be strong enough to go. 
you know, start the game, and there's a lot of pace to the game, and maybe Pino will be better in when it slows down a bit, 15, 20 to go, and there'll be a lot of fouls around that time, I'm sure. There'll be a lot of nerves around that time, and maybe you should get free kicks, which you can really, you know, excel in a lot of part of the game. You have to see what happens, I guess, you know, with Pino, which is an important piece, obviously, but I think, you know, you don't lose much put press, and the press is big time for me. Do you feel like the USA got through the two toughest teams in France and England, and now, whether it's Sweden or the Netherlands, they've already faced their toughest matches? No, I don't think so. I think the pressure of the final makes a difference. You know? I think every game gets harder, even if the opposition doesn't. I think Sweden's going to be very tricky tactically for the U.S. So I think if the U.S. had a choice, it'd probably be the Netherlands, even though the front three of Netherlands are a handful, there's no question. They're probably the best forward line in the league with the U.S. in the World Cup with the U.S. forward line. So they will cause them trouble with front three. Midfield, the midfield in Holland, not that great for me. But I think Sweden haven't played the U.S. and they left a lot of players out of the lineup. I think they're going to come in and they're going to stay in low, 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 low block and make it difficult for the U.S. And they've got the speed with Jacobson on the counterattack and uh, Blackstenius on the on the counterattack. So I think they'll they'll be difficult to play against the Swedes. I think Netherlands will be an easier game for the U.S. even with the front three that they have. If the U.S. do get it done on Sunday, and we're all hoping and expecting that they do do it, uh, be back-to-back World Cup titles for Jill Ellis, uh, where will be her legacy, and when is it too long a time as the head coach of the national team? Is that is that it for her, you think? Uh, well, only Jill obviously will make that decision, but I'm sure, I'm sure she'll stay for the Olympics. I can't imagine even before the Olympics, you know. It's the same group that will go to the Olympics, or just about the same group, so... Um, I think she'll stay for the Olympics to be daft to leave now. And they didn't win the Olympics, so I think it'd be something that Jill would love to do. Um, but two World Cups, I mean, what a legacy. <laughs> I mean, she's done a great job. And you know, she's had a lot of people say, oh, this and that. And you know, she's not doing this, not doing that. But, you know, you've got to take your hat off to her. She's pulled all the right punches in this one. And you know, she's, she's gone to a final. And she, everyone said, oh, France were better. And England are this. And Spain's going to do this. And, you know, they've handled them relatively easily, I think. And, I think tactics have been spot on. I thought we went a little bit early to the fight back yesterday. I think she should have stayed in formation maybe and just tried to win the game, an extra goal, get an extra goal and just kill a game off. But she chose to go to that back five and it's tough to break the five down when they go to it. Uh, but yeah, she's handled it well. The whole staff, in all fairness, they've done a good job. May peaking the players at the right time and you know, not overplaying, not overdoing things. And uh, You know, there's a lot of question marks going in and I think people now are starting to backtrack and say, oh no, what a great job. So, yeah, I'm happy for Jill. You know, I'm really happy for her and the staff. They've done a, a phenomenal job over the last few years. And, uh, so is the, 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 the league, too, you know, keeping these players in a competitive environment, um, which I think is crucial. And I think as the league's got better, the national team's got a little bit better. And I think it's, an, again, the next stage for the U.S. team is to make sure the league continues to be strong and the best players continue to come here. So our players like Sam, Rose, Haran, uh, Press can continue to get better and continue to, to improve, because I do think we can improve in the NIFU. I do think we can improve uh, tactically up front and craft up front, and I think that's the next step for us, you know, to really establish a true number nine uh, in the sense of, a, you know, the, the world powers number nine, and, you know, maybe a, a little bit more fluency in the midfield and, you know, a bit more connection between the forwards and the midfield. So I look forward to seeing that, and if Joe wants to stay another four, I mean, I don't think anyone could argue with it. I think it's her decision purely after what she's done.
That's well said. And since you mentioned the league, I guess we'll end with the league because it's been a challenge for all the coaches, including you who had such a remarkable season last year, only lost one game. You've got, seems like, 20 new players in. You're starting to get some players back from the World Cup and Abby and Dabinia and Stephanie, and, and then eventually you'll get the four USA players back. But uh, as you look at it right now, you're sitting in fifth. I mean, there's seven teams that got a shot at those four spots, right? It's going to be tight. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's three points, I think. There's three or four points difference between six teams, you know, so it's going to be a dog race to the to the, to the end now, you know. And uh, I think for the fans around the country, uh, they're going to love it. It's going to be <laughs> up and down here from here on in. And, you know, again, what are, they, what are the players come back like, you know? What's the mental state when they get back? Uh, the emotional state of, of going through all this. And so that's going to be a challenge to everybody, too. But it's definitely been a challenge, no question. But when we all prepared for it. We all knew it was coming, and our goal was just to stay in the hunt as, as much as we can, and uh, that's, that's what we try to do. And some good, some bad, but we've hung in there. I think you know we're three or four points behind, so I think we're in a pretty good spot if we can get some points Friday. And uh, and the performances have got better with the group. You know, I feel like we're in a much better position with the group we have now. And the question is, when they come back, what happens? You know, does it does it take you back two steps again to go forward again, or are we able to just uh, to come in and seamlessly? Uh, get them involved again. So I look forward to having them back. I think their personalities and uh, professionalism are good to have around the place. And obviously the experiences that they've had. I said, to, I said to Sam when the French game played, I said, Sam, that will be the biggest game you ever play in terms of your career and what it does for your career, what it, how it improves your career, because you'll bring those moments back to here and you'll help the younger players. Here. I hope they all do that. I hope Crystal comes back with that kind of thing. Jess Mack will be biting at the better thing to get back and get the lineup again and uh, yeah, I mean, we lost 37 goals to the World Cup, you know, so we're struggling to score goals, but happy with the performances. And, you know, we got a few points along the way and would have, could have done with a few more, but we're hanging in there. Everybody's hanging in there. North first is going to be a battle royal the rest of the way. And uh, I think it's great for the league. You know, last year you know, we got out in front and we stayed out in front, but this year it's going to be much more fun, I think, for everybody to watch. And, you know, I hope the fans come out because obviously all these World Cup players are coming back. Uh, they're playing in your own backyard, and people forget that. There they are. You know, they're all back. Crystal Dunn's going to play every week in North Carolina or in some city around the place. And, you know, so Tobin Heath and Haran and Sam Mewis and uh, Rose Lavelle and all these players. Come out and see them, you know. Get out and see them. And if you've got a college team, bring a college team out, bring your high school teams out, and come see these players, you know. It doesn't have to be just with the U.S. national team. You can learn a lot from watching live. I think it's much easier to watch games live and learn than it is from watching TV when you just see a specific part of the field. And that also will echo when the ICC comes to carry, right? I will end with that because you're going to see some superstar players as well that, again, that played in the World Cup, some big-time players with these four teams. Well, I think there's 40 players coming to the ICC that played in the World Cup uh, and the four teams that are coming, you know, Atletico Madrid, Man City, Leon, and ourselves. So I mean, what an opportunity to see the top players in the world. All the French players will be here. A lot of the Spanish players will be here. Uh, a lot of the English players will be here, and obviously a lot of the Americans will be here. So, I mean, when you can when you can put all that on the field in the middle of August, and I think it's going to be an exciting time. Everybody will be fully loaded. You know, we didn't we had a lot of players missing last summer when we played in it, but everybody will be fully loaded this year, and I think it'll be an exciting time. And coming off the World Cup, there's a great buzz around women's soccer. So, I'm hoping that uh, people come out and watch again in North Carolina, wherever you are in America, you can come here and plenty of hotels, plenty of great bars and restaurants, and you know, make a make a well mini World Cup of it. You know, five days, two games, and or four games, and and really have a great time. So look forward to that. I think it's a big event for us and big event for for the club. 
Final score Sunday, USA Sweden or USA Netherlands. What's the score? I think U.S. Uh, beats Sweden uh, 1-0 in the chess match. And I think if it's Holland, they win 2-0. Um, and I think it'll be relatively easy against Holland. He's usually right about all this stuff, folks. Paul Riley, I think he's the best women's pro soccer coach in the world. Thanks for uh, being on our show, talking Women's World Cup, NWSL, and the ICC. Appreciate it, Coach. Thanks, Dean. Good luck to everybody. All the best. From one Paul to another, Paul Kennedy, the longtime editor of Soccer America, joins us from France next after this message. Looking for ways to improve your training sessions? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Being a coach means being a lot of things. Mentor, teacher, role model, motivator, leader, organizer. Of course, it's not easy to be all those things. You need help. And who better to help you than an association of fellow coaches? Membership with the United Soccer Coaches includes access to over $500 worth of e-learning courses, an improved online resource library with more than 1,000 activities, session plans and articles, $1 million worth of liability insurance, and a whole lot more. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org join and start your free 30-day introductory membership today. United Soccer Coaches, your association for all things coaching. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast, continuing to talk Women's World Cup. I want to thank Paul Riley, the fine head coach of the North Carolina Courage, for his breakdown, really, of every single player and Jill Ellis and the U.S. team and his predictions even on Sunday. One person over in France, as promised, another Paul, Paul Kennedy, 35 years with Soccer America, the editor-in-chief for most of that. And Paul is in France right now. Paul, thanks for being with us. Oh, you're very welcome. Paul, talk about first, uh, you know, the middle, being in the middle of the Megan Rapino, not knowing what was going on exactly. What was your take on all of that? I guess in hindsight, even Paul Riley said it probably made sense for Jill to keep tight-lipped on that situation. Um, after the game, Jill said that, you know, they didn't want to say anything because she held out hope that uh, if it came down to penalty kicks that she might uh, use her, although that would have been a unlikely scenario, meaning that, she would have had to have saved one of her subs for Megan at the end of uh, overtime, which, you know, given the as – as the game turned out, which was a, quite a physical game, there's no way I think she would have ever been able to do that. But, you know, I understand, you know, her feelings of trying to be tight-lipped about it. But, um, you know, given all the celebrity of, of Megan and her success in the previous two games when she scored all the U.S. goals – Obviously, it was uh, quite a um, you know uh, hubbub that she didn't start. Um, I was looking at some of the U.S. coverage today, and uh, you know a lot of papers uh, with such interest in the game um, were covering it. You know before the game, and you know they all were reporting that she's been benched. Meaning, uh, you know, I don't think anybody ever thought she was benched. It was a matter of either she was injured or tactical reasons, although, um, you know, the fact that she didn't play, I think, was almost a blessing in disguise and that uh, Kristen Press, who 
started for Megan, had an absolutely tremendous game, scoring the first goal, helping set up the second, and you know doing a tremendous job helping out um, on defense the whole game. The latter is something that you know Megan would never have been in a position to do. So that's a great point, and uh, that's kind of the media hype. And, and again, you know, as you said, Megan Rapino, not afraid to stir it up anyway. So perhaps people that aren't as educated on the game as you got caught up in that. Hopefully, it does mean with those extra days that she'll be able to come back and play. But even as Paul Riley said, there's no guarantee. Hamstrings are tough. Yeah, I mean, uh, the issue that uh, the U.S. has got is, is uh, Megan's got a hamstring issue. Rose Lavelle, who played. Far and away, the best I've ever seen her play last night. Um, left with probably with a similar hamstring issue. So you know some of the issues that Jill's going to have is does she start them and risk having to make a sub because they get hurt, or do they save them for later in the game and then risk making a second sub for her? Um, I think one thing to remember is in the 2006 Olympics, uh, where the U.S. lost in the quarterfinal. Megan Rapino had come back having hurt her knee in that infamous trip to Hawaii where they were training on, on, on I guess it sounds like some poor training fields. And in the quarterfinal against Sweden, if I recall correctly, Megan came on in the second half, but because the game went to overtime, she couldn't last the whole game. And Jill had to make another sub, which turned out to be Kristen Press, who um, turned out missed her penalty kick in that loss to Sweden. So, um, you know, uh, with both Megan and Rose Lavelle, uh, Jill's got some tough issues to decide about, you know, whether they can go. What's the overall take on the U.S. team after a lot of drama with the celebrations, 13 nothing, and working through that and some question marks on, you know, what subs to make and that type of thing? What's your overall take right now? I mean, it's pretty much uh, – it's, it's a different world now. I mean, they're pretty much isolated, right? You get limited exposure to them. I know you're headed over to something with them after our phone call, um, but it's pretty much all business, right? Yeah, it's pretty much all business, meaning um, uh, I think it was on, I'm forgetting my days now, but on Monday afternoon uh, we were at the team hotel and asking uh, Alyssa there some questions about what was going on. And we asked her about one of the controversies that cropped up about, you know, the U.S. quote spying on the English hotel. And when someone asked uh, uh, Alyssa about it, uh, a controversy that had cropped up more than 24 hours earlier. She said she hadn't heard about it until five minutes beforehand. So, you know, the team's pretty much in a bubble. Jill Ellis is pretty much in a bubble, and very little, you know, uh, gets into them except for what they may hear from, say, uh, family and stuff. So, uh, you know, all these controversies are stuff that, you know, make great talk and great uh, coverage in the media. But uh, and the, I think the reality is, is that they aren't that big a deal. And to me, the, you know, the bigger issue is that I, I thought of that today where uh, people are talking about the celebrations of the 13-0 game in the context of, of uh, um, Alex Morgan's um, celebration last night. That, <laughs> you know, that 13-0 game is so far you know, in the past now that it's hard to remember. And when I say that is that you look at the three games that played in the U.S. group stage, Spain 2-1, France 2-1, and now England 2-1, all of them were tremendously tight and tense and complicated games. And that to me is the bigger story is just the drama of, of what 
has taken place in the U.S. route to the final is, you know, a much bigger story than any of these other stories that uh, have cropped up. Having been at Soccer America so long and knowing that, uh, you know, in the late 80s, Anson got this team going and they went over to China before the other countries really were doing anything with their women's program and seeing how the U.S. has raised the bar for all these other countries, it says a lot about U.S. soccer as a leader, right, uh, in the women's game? Oh, yes, meaning that um, right now everyone's talking about what's going on in in other countries and, um, you know, to me, still, they are, you know, far behind the U.S. And, you know, for all the rightly, you know, questions about pay for the women, support for the women, I'm talking about the U.S. women, the reality is is what they get in terms of support, in terms of preparation, you know, puts every other team in the world to shame. And, uh, and that's something that, you know, can get easily forgotten. And it's also something, even in terms of the NWSL, which, which you know, has had, unfortunately, a very low profile this year, uh, the reality still is that top to bottom, it's easily the strongest thing in the world. And its attendance is, uh, you know, better than, uh, you know, any other uh, league in the world. You look at the Portland Thorns, and, you know, they average more fans, probably double the number of fans a game, and say the entire German women's uh, Bundesliga, as I said, combined. Mm. Uh, so uh, I think the issue for you know the U.S. is going going forward is going to be staying number one, which won't be easy. But it, it you know it is still number one, you know for the time being, regardless of what happens on Sunday. Well, speaking of the future, Paul Riley, I asked him this. Uh, he expects Joe Ellis to stay with the team through the Olympics, and really, for the most part, expects almost this entire team to be our Olympic team, even potentially some of the older players like Carly Lloyd and Megan Rapino, Do you expect the same? Yes, meaning, uh, um, you know, you just look at it from the point of view of it wasn't like there was a lot of uh, questions in the team about who was going to go, or it isn't like there's a lot of players that are young players who are not on the team that currently would take a spot. And again, we have to remember for the Olympics, you only got an 18-player roster, so uh, even if she, you know she's looking at the same players, five players who are here in France aren't going to be there next year when the uh, U.S. you know you know goes to Japan or assuming they go to Japan. All right, very good. And then what about Joe Ellis? Uh, Paul thinks she'll run the Olympics, and then he said that she's earned the right. Particularly, this is with the assumption that they're going to win the World Cup on Sunday and. You win the World Cup after winning the last World Cup, and then you go and win Olympics. You can pretty much name your exit time. But do you believe that uh, the sort of cycles do run out with a national team coach? You know, I think they do. Um, you know, uh, the question is going to be is uh, whether she'd want to go for another four years, meaning that really the reality is going for uh, two years between between the Olympics and. 2022, which was a year of qualification for 2023, so that's a, a long time, um, and you look at it both ways, it's a long time to work for a team, but gives her a long time to sort of uh, build up to another big push. Paul Kennedy, you're heading over to some event now with the U.S. soccer team. Where are you going? What are you doing? The U.S. team is uh, going to switch hotels as they planned to all along, <laughs> assuming that they won, which they did, and so they're going to have a 
a quote mix zone of while they uh, leave their hotel to give them you know the media chance to uh, talk to them today. Biggest surprise for the U.S. team, in your opinion? What's been the biggest sort of bright light or surprise for the team? Probably that uh, biggest surprise has been uh, Sam Mewis playing more than Lindsey Horan. Uh, although Lindsey Horan played. Well, last night, I would imagine she'll start the final. Yeah, that's probably been the biggest surprise. All right, Paul Kennedy, you always do a great job. Thanks for being with us from France, and uh, hopefully you're part of the Tour de Four and bring back that fourth with the U.S. team. Okay, I hope I will. Yep, we all hope they get it done. Nancy Feldman, 25 years as the head coach of the Boston U women's soccer team, was over with United Soccer Coaches in April Heinrichs. They took several coaches at all levels, youth, high school, college, including Jessica Clinton, who played for Nancy at Boston University. She was a great goalkeeper, assistant coach for several years for Nancy, now having success putting Fordham back on the map as the head coach of the Fordham women's soccer team. She went over there as well. We'll hear from Nancy and Jessica Clinton when we return. Team Snap's awesome. I have five teams on Team Snap. There are no questions asked by the players, the parents. Very easy to use. Very, very, very easy. Simple to use. Everyone, you know, everything's right there. Messages, availability, boom, boom, boom. I've looked at other at other things, and I think Team Snap sets the bar for this type of team management software. It's the best that I found. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, talking Women's World Cup. I want to thank Paul Riley, the head coach of the North Carolina Courage, for his take on the USA team. He is always unabashed and ready to talk about everything women's soccer. Paul Kennedy's in France, in fact, on his way to a USA press conference. He also joined me. And then if you remember a few weeks ago, we had on Nancy Feldman and April Heinrichs talking about the fact that the United Soccer Coaches went over with coaches from all levels, kind of were able to enjoy games and then talk about the games. And it was a great experience. And Nancy promised that she would Get us up to date on how it went, and she's going to do that now. Nancy Feldman, the longtime head coach for the Boston University women's soccer team and a longtime staff coach for United Soccer Coaches. Nancy, thanks for being with us. Oh, I'm so happy to be here with you again, Dean, and talk about our great trip. Yeah, so uh, your immediate reflections. I know you've come back and hit the wall because you also got to recruit, but your immediate reflections on everything you guys experienced. Well, we had total immersion for 11 days into the Women's World Cup experience and uh, with a group of 35 coaches, uh, and we had some staff with us, and um, it was 24-7 soccer talk and certainly the backdrop of uh, traveling around France and um, going to a number of different stadiums and a number of different communities, and it just, it it was, uh, for all of us, we could really put everything else uh, and aside that uh, in our lives, um, I guess even a little bit, including family, and just um, we dove right in and uh, came up 11 days later, and uh, uh, it was uh, intense, and it was uh, absolutely marvelous um, as a coaching education experience and just as a experience of um, watching and witnessing and being um, uh, kind of close, up close to the best soccer in the world for women. And talk about the coaches from all levels. Explain that, because are we talking youth, high school, college, everything? Yes, and that's what's so interesting about these kind of uh, coaching education experiences. They're not, they, they aren't certifications, they aren't licenses, they aren't diploma courses. They, 
this is a self-selection, and um, if uh, anyone that is a member, um, well, I guess, can become a member and, and be a part of these trips, um, the only criteria is um, that they have uh, a passion for women's uh, soccer. And so, um, therefore, you get a, uh, we got a real variety, and that has been the case on a number of these trips that I've had the privilege to be on. So youth coaches... Um, avocation, you know, hobby, um, uh, interested because their kids are in it, whatever the reason, youth coaches, um, all the way up to, uh, to Division, Division One college coaches. And it really, I, I look at it as such a positive uh, because everyone is coming with their own experience. It's not all the same. There's real diversity in, in experience and background, and therefore, the lenses everybody's looking through are quite different. And um, I'll give you an example later on in our conversation, but it is, um, it's what makes these experiences so rich because everyone offers something. And, it, you know, yes, with X's and O's a little bit, certainly some people are more experienced than other, others, but just the way people look at the game and what their takeaways are, it's, it's just marvelous how that... Um, from looking from different points of view, how it really enhances the trip. Remind everybody the games that uh, the entire group were able to attend together. Yeah, so we were able to see the three USA um, first round, round robin games, and then we had to, we got to see Argentina twice. They played uh, Scotland in what was, for us, I think, one of the most exciting games. That We were very sad for Scotland that they didn't pull out a win in that game. It ended up 3-3, but it was a marvelous soccer game as a fan. Uh, we saw Argentina against Japan. Uh, we also saw the Germany-Spain game, which was a, a really terrific first-round um, matchup. So we, we got a I mean, great scene following the U.S. around, but we also got to see um, other styles and other countries play and um, really a, an appreciation of even some of the developing countries in women's soccer, like Argentina, like Chile, um, and that is something that we got to really talk about and dissect and, and, and really and watch the evolution of those teams even through the tournament, not just the U.S. team, but a team like Scotland. I love that uh, you start to follow them as well. Uh, I know it's all business over there. How close were you able to get to the U.S. team, Nancy? Not that close. Back in the old days, Dean, you know, we had a lot of access. Uh, times were different. Um, I remember at uh, an Algarve Cup, we were standing in the middle of a practice field watching four teams U.S. being one of them, Germany, China, and I can't remember the fourth team. We were standing in the middle of two practice fields, head on a swivel, watching four teams train. And uh, in Germany, we were able to meet with Pia Santage uh, at a practice the U.S. had. But, the time, you know, the, 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 the times are different. Um, the stakes are higher. Uh, the access is uh, a little bit more limited, although we did have a great opportunity to meet the Jamaican uh, staff, Jamaican national team staff, Hugh Menzies and his staff, um, carved out some time for our group, and he spent about an hour and a half with us uh, on one of his practice days, and we took our group to his hotel uh, where their team was, and we had a great exchange with them. Um, so, yeah, the, the U.S. team, you know, they're, they, have a, they have a job to do there, and uh, we certainly didn't want to get in the way. Well, that certainly makes sense. And uh, from where you sat, uh, having April Heinrichs over there with you, what did that bring to the table? Well, uh, I played assistant coach. How's that? And I loved every second of it. <laughs> uh, that woman is 
absolutely an encyclopedia of international soccer, U.S. Uh, women's national team soccer. Um, she just, it was an incredible, I was, a st- I was on staff, I was one of the facilitators, but I have to say, Dean, uh, I learned so much by interacting and hanging out with April for 11 days that um, it was a trip of a lifetime for me personally because of that. And I know I speak for every single person in the group. Her insight, um, her knowledge, her, sh- her um, sh- willingness to share um, on the bus, sitting, she sat with different people just about every, every road trip uh, and in the classroom uh, and sitting with her at games. It was an amazing opportunity for people to um, pick April Heinrich's brain, and she was so willing to share. Well, speaking of Sharon, you mentioned you had a pretty good example of some of the diversity in the group. Can you share that example? Yeah, well, I don't want to bring up controversy, but, you know, the, the, the game against uh, Thailand where um, the score was starting to get up to the high, high numbers, um, it was very interesting because uh, we all were – it was the first U.S. game, and we were – so excited to be there and cheering, 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 and celebrating all the goals. And there were some, there were mostly amazing, wonderful goals. Of so those thirteen goals, there wasn't really a, a stinky one in the bunch. Um, but as it started to get creeping up into the uh, double digits, um, even within our group, there was starting to be a little bit of a discomfort um, with celebrating each goal, and um, certainly was an appreciation for the quality. Uh, and our quality and the U.S. team's quality, but there was a little bit of a um, uh, tempered uh, celebration. And when there was witnessing, you know, the rest of the fans or many of the fans celebrating and the team celebrating, there was it was a point of conversation the next morning about you know what what sportsmanship uh, and what is um, playing to win a world championship and with people coming from different backgrounds and different levels of coaching, we had a, a really uh, vibrant conversation about that. And some people's minds were changed, and other people's minds weren't changed. And but it did. It, and then we we put on Jill Ellis's uh, press conference and the Thailand head coach's press conference to sort of start the conversation the next morning. And it just was. It was just a great. We, you know, it was say right or wrong. It's really no right or wrong, everyone can come from their point of view. But what was interesting is people. some people's point of view changed because they put themselves in the shoes of of the, being a national team player, a national team coach, instead of being a coach at, um, you know, in Newton, Massachusetts, uh, for a youth team, and the differences in levels of competition and, you know, what does sportsmanship look like at one level and what, you know, is playing to win um, within the rules at um, a world championship at the other level. So it was it, that kind of uh, interaction or dialogue um, was um, the kind of things that we got to talk about um, in addition to the systems of play and the style of play and learning about P1 passes and seams and all the things April taught us. Can you give us the true highlight of the entire trip for you Ooh. from Nancy Feldman's lips? Well, it was probably the morning I spent with April when we went to, we did a Red Rover, Red Rover, and did an exchange with the Scottish Federation. They sent Pauline McDonald, their U-17 national team coach, youth national team coach, and Kevin Murphy, who's the coach of a uh, Division One club team, over to our group at our hotel. And April and I went to their group of coaches. Um, they, they were also running a coaching education program for their um, 
first and second division um, head team coaches and also their emerging female coaches in their in their country. So that was a highlight because it was a little adventure that I got to have with April Heinrichs. And um, twenty, we got there a little early, and about twenty minutes before the um, our presentation, April had the grand idea to get on some lime scooters and scoot around uh, a little bit of the area of Paris that that we were in. And um, I said, okay, well, we have 20 minutes. She goes, that's plenty of time. So we hopped on these uh, Lime scooters, and we had a little jaunt around. And it was just so carefree. And, you know, about five minutes to go, I said, April, we've got to be back at the hotel in five minutes to to give a presentation. She goes, oh, okay, let's go. So we parked our our Lime scooters right outside the hotel and ran in. And she whispered to me, she goes, oh, that's a good way to prepare for a presentation. We were all out of breath. But it was was just so, um, you know, then she stood up and gave – a marvelous, may uh, gave marvelous insight into the youth development program in the U.S. and I ch- chipped in a little bit here and there, but it was just a very carefree experience with a world-class uh, former you know, player, coach, and um, and leader in women's soccer, and that just was a that's a highlight for me. Well, that's a great breakdown, and and with that, uh, you mentioned the different levels of folks that uh, were with the group. One of them was. Uh, former player for you, former assistant coach for you, now the head coach for Fordham, Jessica Clinton. She's going to join us next. And uh, with that as the setup, tell us everything you can as you're going to kind of introduce Jessica Clinton to this program. Well, Jessica was a fantastic goalkeeper for Boston University. She grew up in Valley Stream and um, great youth player, came to Boston University, had a great career won a couple of championships, uh, played in some NCAA tournaments, and then um, started to pursue her livelihood in uh, hospitality uh, and then decided after about 18 months that that wasn't for her and went and worked with Ian Stone at St. John's for a season and then came back, fortunately, to Boston University to be an assistant coach and stayed with us for, Jess is going to kill me that I'm not going to get this right, it was either six or seven years, and then um, well became an associate head coach at Boston University and then uh, got her first uh, opportunity as a head coach at Fordham and has uh, been there, I think, five seasons and doing a marvelous job uh, rebuilding that program into an a A-10 contender. So uh, she um, is uh, a person like many on the trip, like everyone on the trip, that's just committed their, to their own development and continuing to try to find ways to improve their coaching um, expertise and um, I'm really proud of her because of how much she's uh, putting into her own development and um, I'm really glad you're going to get a chance to speak with her and I think it's important to hear from a participant's point of view uh, about the trip. I'll let you say hi to Jessica Clinton and that'll be our handoff. Hi Jessica, Uh, hope you had a great trip and um, I know everyone's looking forward to hear, hear what you have to say about the Women's World Cup experience that was sponsored by United Soccer Coaches. How about that? A personal hello from Nancy Feldman at Jessica Clinton. Would you like to say hi back to Nancy? I do want to say a big hi back. We just spent a month together after the France trip and then we're roommates out of the DA and ETNL event. So I know she misses me dearly, and I already miss her. Well, you guys had a great time over there. And, of course, you get to come back and still watch the USA continue to cruise on. They'll be in the World Cup finals. They go for four. But just talk about what it meant to be a part of this group with United Soccer Coaches led by Nancy and April. It, it was certainly a wonderful event, educational in itself, to be with Nancy and April and just have that 
insight at the World Cup level, especially with April. She was able to give us a lot of information, information that, you know, just going on a trip on our own, we would not have access to. So, you know, that alone was incredible, just the information that she was able to feed us. Well, speaking of feeding, Nancy said that you've been really <laughs> eager to continue to learn more and more and develop as a coach. Is that one of the reasons why you wanted to go on this trip? It was. When we were talking about going on the trip, we were going to figure it out on our own, but then United Soccer Coaches came up with this event, and Nancy said that she was spearheading it. So, you know, it's one of those moments that you can't turn down if it's presented in front of you. Um, and then she said that April was coming, and she started to name some of the other coaches that were joining. So it was one of those moments where you say, yeah, this is something I, I should be doing or I have to do because it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, really. Well, Nancy said you saw all three of the USA first-round games. You saw Argentina mm-hmm. a couple times. You saw Spain, Germany. Give me your top two or three highlights of the trip, please. April gave us a rundown of what to expect from the USA playing against Sweden because we had seen them play Thailand and Chile, and, you know, that that was great, but we thought that Sweden was going to be the biggest test, and she, you know, for someone who has coached at that level and gave us a scouting report on, on both teams and how she would go about that game, I thought that was, that was really incredible. Um, you know, we also met with the Marseille and the Lyon and the Scottish FA coaches, and and what they had to say, the Scottish FA in particular, because, you know, we felt a connection with them as they spoke to us. And then when we saw them play against Argentina, you know, I, I, there was there was certainly a piece of us that were rooting for Scotland. And same thing with Jamaica when we met with that staff. You, you know, it, it was an educational component, but you, you became tied into the program because of how much they put into it and, and how much work it takes. So those, for me, were the were the educational highlights. How about the fact that there was also some youth and, and high school coaches over there as well, and mm-hmm. you as a college coach uh, and a former assistant coach, what did it mean to kind of be alongside them and maybe help them along the way? I don't know if I helped them along the way. I think they helped me maybe along the way because it's a, you know, that's that's not my realm. I get the older age group where I'm dealing with 18 to 21, 22-year-old women, um, and they're, you know, they're talking about the development of the youth. So it was a lot of great conversation of saying, okay, this is what we want it to look like when they're older, but what's it need to look like when it's younger and what are they doing? And, you know, at the high school level, it's a little bit different for some. Um, but a lot of it was back and forth conversation because none of us on the trip except for, you know, April, I think have coached at the national level i think brian blitz was on the trip and i think actually he's been called into camps as an assistant coach or you know on staff so he had some access or knowledge to it but no one really had that type of information so it's all of us kind of pretending that we're national team coaches and we're all coming from different viewpoints so it was really interesting in that in that way and just the way united soccer coaches continues to be about sharing the knowledge of the game around the passion of the mm-hmm. game. This is another pretty mm-hmm. good example of that, right, Jessica? Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it was really great to have those conversations. And, and Nancy and April put us into groups, working groups, uh, and it was very diverse. The groups as far as, like, our, our backgrounds, um, playing or coaching and at level. So it, it was really great to hear different sides and take in information 
you know, and everybody's from all over the country and even all over the world that were on this trip. So it, it was really interesting to hear other other people's thoughts and how, where they are, what the development issues are, or where they're being successful. And as USA goes for their fourth World Cup title, which is simply amazing, obviously that would be another record as they continue to add on records. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's it say about the level of the women's game internationally right now. It's pretty pretty fantastic, right? It's really impressive. I mean, the developing countries that are bringing along their national teams, I think, you know, Spain is a young group. If you look at the average ages of some of these national teams, the, the future is bright. Uh, the USA is doing quite well, um, but we have to continue to fight to stay on top while everybody else is pumping in the resources. So, you know, ho- really hoping for a USA win, um, but we also know, I, I think, or I hope, that the USA has also done a really good job of, you know, pushing the other countries to come along. So it, it's been a great World Cup in seeing that. And one of the things that uh, Anson Dorrance often talks about, even Nancy Feldman, the fact that college soccer has played such a key role when you think about uh, even the superstar right back for England having played college soccer at North Carolina. I mean, college soccer, mm-hmm. you're at Fordham now as the women's coach. Women's college soccer still makes a difference for the development of these women at the highest level. Absolutely. I, I can't speak to the level that Anson uh, is at and how he produces national team players. But it, it really is something, especially with the other countries. You have Rachel Daly coming from St. John's. Um, you have a couple of Engli- other English national team players that have played here in the States. It, it has really done a great job in developing some other you know, national team players and players that maybe have not come through the, youth, the U.S. youth system. Can you believe in just over a month you're going to start playing games at Fordham already? <laughs> I can't. The summer has gone by way too fast. Well, we wish you all the best at Fordham. We thank you for being a United Soccer Coaches member, for going on this trip and sharing your insight on your experience with Nancy and April and the entire group. Thanks so much, Jessica Clinton. Thank you so much. Thank you again, Jessica. Thank you, Nancy Feldman. Thank you, Paul Kennedy. Thank you, Paul Riley. Thank you, Ralph Paulson. And thank you, Charlie Slago, for all that you did for the game. As Ralph said so astutely, rest in peace, We will continue to promote your passion for the game. I also want to thank Michael Knipper, Sean Chevrel, and all the great folks at United Soccer Coaches, reminding you that in August, we'll go every week right through the end of January as college soccer heats up and pro playoffs heat up and high school soccer and all the good things around soccer that uh, would make even Charlie Slago proud. This is the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. I'm Dean Linke. Have a great day.